0: To support this program, please go to Patreon.com slash DreadPennies. Patron access will get you new artwork as well as behind the scenes episodes with intriguing details of how all of these stories came to be. Most important, it helps me to keep this program ad free and supports me for all of the time that I put into making it. Thank you for listening. Welcome, listeners, to Chapter 2 of the Guild of Eldritch Adventurers. Last week, in Chapter 1, we were introduced to Glinda, a witch from South Carolina. Seeking supernatural guidance about a choice for her future, she broke protocol and consulted an emerald globe, a powerful magical artifact that can control and influence time and space. But she was not the only one to consult it that night. She crossed paths with a wicked witch named Elmira who sought some nefarious purpose at the globe. A scuffle ensued in which the globe was damaged, Elmira fled, and a woman named Hester was pulled across space and time to the year 1898 where this story takes place. With potentially cataclysmic events set in motion, Glinda and Hester must now follow an emerald compass to put together a team of heroes that will find Elmira and stop her. And now we come to Chapter 2 of the Guild of Eldritch Adventurers. I'm Graham Bradley. Let's go for a ride. Chapter 2. The Deer Slayers, Town of Caldwell, Lake George, New York. It wasn't common to find a train moving through Columbia in the middle of the night, but witches had their ways of making uncommon things happen. So it was that Glinda and Hester found themselves in a comfortable car on the northbound track, settling into their bunks for the night, with Glinda explaining trains to her new companion. Such things simply hadn't existed in the 1640s. They were scarcely a century old in the 1890s, and even then only wealthy, bustling places had them. Hester took this to mean colonies of a thousand souls or more. Glinda realized she had to explain a great deal of changes, and began to think of Hester as though she came from a very different country. Such were the differences between them. As the commotion of the day receded into the past, exhaustion took hold, and for the first time since running into Elmira, Glinda had a spare moment to consider something. If she had followed Mistress Everly's command to stay away from the globe, she wouldn't have been caught up in all this. She closed her eyes and willed the thought away. Wishing changes on the past was the pathway to bitterness. Now it was time to correct the problem and mend the damage. What devilish purpose had Elmira sought to fulfill by shattering the crystal globe? Whatever it was, Glinda felt certain she was in over her head. Questions ran through her mind even as she tried to sleep in her narrow bunk, and she only managed a few hours of very fitful rest, the train's heavy wheels thudding along the rails all through the night. All too early, dawn broke in the east, along with a call to breakfast in the dining car. Glinda groaned as she pushed herself off of the bed and began to make herself presentable in the small mirror in her room. "'What are you doing?' Glinda yelped and fell backward at the sudden sound of Hester's voice. "'Sorry,' Hester said. "'My word!' Glinda clutched at the neck of her undershirt, breathing fast. "'I forgot you were up there!' Hester had taken the top bunk, and from the look of things, she hadn't removed a single stitch of clothing before falling asleep." Her hair looked slightly disheveled, but she kept it mostly concealed under her bonnet. "'I didn't mean to startle you. I just didn't know what all those were for.' Hester pointed at the various decorative substances in canisters and jars that Glinda had placed in the vanity cabinet. "'Oh, these? They're for making me presentable. Don't you wear makeup?' "'Makeup?' Hester screwed up her face. "'How do you mean?' Feeling a little punchy from the lack of sleep, Glinda chuckled in an undignified manner and bade Hester watch as she applied the various colors and powders to her cheeks, eyes, and lips. "'Do you see the difference it makes? I don't appear nearly as exhausted now,' Glinda said with a sigh as she pinned up her hair and affixed the ribbon to the base of the braid. "'You paint your face every single day? Are you a noblewoman, then?' "'It's a common practice, though if you're truly from the 1640s, "'I imagine it must seem strange indeed,' Glinda said. "'I could put your face on for you if you like.' "'Hester dismissed the notion with a wave of the hand. "'It strikes me as frivolous. "'That is to say, for me to do it would be frivolous. uh, "'Immodest, prideful. "'It's not in keeping with how I present myself.' "'You do dress rather humbly. "'Not that this is a fault, mind you.' "'though the embellishment of the A does draw the eye to it, Miss Prynne.' "'Glinda slipped her arms into her slim overcoat and fastened the buttons over her corset. "'What does it signify?' Hester became quiet. "'It is... I mean... well, it's not precisely that I can't tell you. "'It's more a matter of whether I should. "'Then again, do the same rules apply here as in my time?' Uh, "'I'm still quite perplexed as to how all of this is even possible. "'Really, I was just minding my own business "'when the light snatched me up and brought me here, "'told me I was, well, needed, not to be boastful.' "'Glinda held up a hand, palm out, to stop Hester. "'Are you referring to the emerald light from the crystal globe?' "'Hester nodded. "'It was that same hue and that same intensity, "'beautiful, soothing, and yet so powerful.' "'The noonday sun could not exert such an influence, I tell you. "'It... I must cease to think of anything as sounding impossible to a woman of your skill-set, "'though it seems impossible to me, so I will just say it. "'The light spoke to me. It told me I was coming here for a reason. "'Since I exited the globe in that chamber, I have understood nothing and been confused by everything. "'Yet you have a mission, and it seems I am to help you, "'and my specific abilities may come in handy for you, Miss Glinda.' What are you saying? What abilities, Hester? The young woman leapt gingerly down from the top bunk and barely made a sound when she landed. She stood ramrod straight and touched a forefinger to the red A over her breast. You belong to a special order, do you not? Yes, of sorceresses, Glinda said. Hester nodded. I too belong to a secret sisterhood, only the A stands for Assassin. Glinda felt her jaw drop. "'Assassin'? Aren't you from a Puritan colony? What in the world does a cluster of devout Christians need from an assassin?' A half-smirk formed on Hester's otherwise impassive face. "'The same thing anyone else does—the removal of an undesirable.' "'Society is replete with undesirables, Miss Prynne. We abide them, and we have a justice system for their wrong actions.' That is the goal of society, but not of a congregation. It's very hard to secure a purely pious people. Even among two souls with the stated goal of absolute righteousness, it only takes one wicked one to corrupt the other. One can corrupt ten, or a hundred, or a thousand. This has happened before, and not just in Boston. My order goes as far back as Hammurabi. All throughout history, we have worked to cull the tares from the wheat when those tares would foul the fields for everyone. As Christians, we of course believe in repentance, but my sisterhood is not tasked with spiritual works. That is for the reverends. Tis they who offer men a chance to turn from sin, once, twice, three times. But there comes a point when mold will not repent, and rot will not do right. Some fruit is plain bad at the core, and must needs be removed. Glinda stared in shock at Hester's words. Your, er, order chooses who to remove from your flock? Hester drew herself up tall, not that it accomplished much, as she was still a good four inches shorter than Glinda, with something approaching haughty pride. We choose, sorceress, and then we do the removing. A chill settled upon Glinda as the ramifications of Hester's words became clear. The woman was a hidden blade in human form, with a very liberal interpretation of scripture as her creed. If the crystal globe itself hadn't spat Hester out, Glinda would have fled from her on the spot. And yet they were paired together, for what purpose Glinda could not yet see. The silence had lasted a second too long. Glinda cleared her throat gently and spared a final glance in the mirror at her handiwork. Well then, it sounds like your time is as strange to me as mine must be to you. Come, let's get a move on. Elmira is out there. "'What are these woods called?' Hester asked, the cadence of her words altered by her labored breathing as they moved over the difficult terrain. Glinda had hardly worn clothing fit for the occasion. Her boots, perhaps, but not her dress. The upward slope of the hill, combined with her lack of sleep, taxed her exceedingly. "'I confess I don't know. Between your day and the present I suppose the land has changed hands many times, from Indian to French to English and now the Americans.' "'But we are near to Lake George, in the county of Warren,' Glinda said, "'trying not to pant and thus surrender all dignity. "'Let us rest here a moment. "'The high ground provides a useful vantage point.' "'Hester plopped down on a large rock, "'her sweaty hair clinging to her forehead. "'A pleasant cooling breeze came over the hilltop, "'and the Puritan woman boldly removed her bonnet "'so as to dry her damp hair. "'Glinda considered doing the same with her hat,' But her comforts were secondary to her mission she reached into her traveling bag which would have been impossibly heavy but for a spell embroidered in its inner lining from the bag she withdrew two items and one of these she tucked under her arm so as to handle the other this being a book of some importance she perused its pages looking for something some leisurely reading to recoup your strength hester asked not quite "'Have you ever used a stellar almanac before?' The Puritan woman returned a blank stare. "'Ah. Well, we keep copies of it in my coven. The natural movements of the planets and stars create ever-altering energy fields that can be manipulated to—' "'Come to think of it, I'm not sure how much of this I should explain,' Glinda said, her thoughts spiraling. "'Witchcraft is of the devil,' Hester agreed. "'Oh, that's not why.' You don't have to worry about me assassinating you, sorceress. This isn't my village. It's not that. Glinda didn't like the conversation heading that way, though. Rather, it's that I'm confident we'll succeed against Elmira, in which case you'll return to your time. Hester sat up a little straighter. I had hoped for as much. You're sure you can do that? Me? Oh no, I don't have that kind of power, but the crystal globe that brought you here can surely send you back. "'And when it does, I imagine it'll be best for you not to have a detailed knowledge of magic,' Glinda explained. "'I repeat, it's the devil's work.' "'Yes, yes,' Glinda said with a dismissive wave. "'She consulted the almanac. Despite the stars being hidden in daylight, "'she marked a few stellar bodies with the aid of a compass and a sextant, "'drawing converging lines on a sheet of blank paper in her pocketbook.' She hummed as she worked, with Hester quietly pretending not to be too curious. "'That is a map?' Hester asked. "'Yes.' "'What seek we upon it?' "'That I cannot yet say. According to Mistress Everly's compass, Elmira has been drawn to this location, but for what I do not know.' Hester stifled a yawn and looked around. "'Trees and dirt. Do these things pose a great threat in your time?' "'Something Elmira can use to make a weapon?' It's entirely possible. The American continent is riddled with ancient magic many times over, from various and diverse civilizations that had lived here before the empires of Europe arrived. It may not appear so to the common eye, but there are mechanisms hidden in the land that make themselves known to the world of witchcraft. Their availability changes throughout the year, so I need to determine what's out there today, Glinda said. Then she paused and bit her lip. "'I hope you'll forgive my tendency to chatter, Miss Pryn. "'That was precisely the sort of thing I ought not to have told you.' "'Hester shrugged and removed herself a few steps from Glinda, "'hands behind her back as she surveyed the woods. "'One imagines that mere knowledge should not suffice anyhow. "'I lack training in your craft, do I not? Carry on.' Sighing to herself, Glinda consulted the almanac a few more times and finished her calculations, coming up with a formula for the date and location. With this, she opened the almanac to a specific page, read a paragraph, and yelped in surprise. Embarrassed, she pressed her fingers to her lips, eyes wide as she read the paragraph again. "'What is it?' Hester asked. "'Keystone,' Glinda whispered. "'Keystone to what?' "'An arch that forms a doorway.' The keystone holds it open at the top, and this doorway derives its power from. No, no, I'll spell you the details. The point is, for a short time tonight, there will be a passage between our world and a much less pleasant one. Elmira wants to activate it. Whatever's on the other side can't be good. Well, then we stop her, simple as. I admire your optimism. Come. Glinda replaced her instruments, gathered up her skirts, and trudged deeper into the woods. The gateway's location lay only a hundred yards ahead, barricaded by old trees and unforgiving brush. In spots where the moisture had gathered, Glinda's boots sank into the mud and the hem of her dress was soiled black—exactly the kind of thing that a lady would not be dealing with were she at home, with her husband. Concerns for her clothing—and her future—would have to wait, though. As she and Hester reached the bottom of the next rolling slope, she heard something up ahead and signaled for hester to stop again voices hester whispered damnation she's beaten us there can we defeat her in combat just her maybe with her monstrous assistance doubtful they worked their way from tree to tree until they spotted a clearing ahead wherein a circle of large stones had been pushed together like an oversized fire ring Strange etchings on the stones glowed bright in the shade, and as Glinda tried to focus on these characters, her eyes burned and her skin prickled with cold fear. ''Eldritch glyphs,'' she gasped. ''What writing is that? It feels... evil,'' Hester said with a shiver. ''It's a forbidden language. I recognize its influence, even if I can't read the writing itself.'' ''You don't know what it says?'' No, because I haven't allowed a parasitic demon to latch onto my soul. Elmira is consorting with dark forces. Glinda pointed to the next tree, and they crept over to it. Elmira herself came into view, standing between two crackling fires, the wood spitting embers out onto the mud. For her part, Elmira was wearing an even wider-brimmed hat than she'd had in Columbia, with a thick overcoat and knee-high boots. Only her face was exposed to the elements, and even then she had a thick cotton shawl about her shoulders that could easily be raised to protect her from... Moisture, Glinda deduced. What about it? Hester asked, brushing sweat from her brow. One of the guardians used an elemental attack on her in the chamber, water specifically, and she was terrified of it. Whatever demon she's paired with, it doesn't want her imbibing any fluids. That's why she looks so sickly, Glinda said. The demon is winning. What's she doing now? Hester pointed at the circle of eldritch stones. In the center of the ring, Glinda made out the forms of two giant-winged simians, standing still as they held up an ancient arch made of stone and twisted wood. It looked flimsy, and as Glinda squinted through some of the low-hanging branches, she noticed a gap at the top where the keystone was missing. Elmira was saying something. As with the written glyphs, the audible words made Glinda's skin crawl. Magic vibrated through the air, specifically the kind from stars, and in an instant she had her almanac out again, rummaging through the pages. Yes, Elmira was channeling stellar energies from beyond the Earth's atmosphere. Faint beams of white starlight shone down through the keystone gap in narrow columns, angled together to intersect in the opening. As more of the beams aligned, the convergence became brighter. The simians hooted with excitement as Elmira summoned the keystone. It would appear in the arch any minute now. "'We have to strike,' Glinda said. "'This is important. It may look queer to your eye, but sorcery depends on proper positioning of one's body. You have to throw her off balance to stop her magic from working.' "'What? You want me to attack her outright?' "'We both will, from different angles. Let's go.' Pursing her lips, Hester moved stealthily into the woods, away from Glinda as she circled to attack Elmira. Glinda set her traveling bag down and withdrew her parasol from inside, then moved into place so she could cast a concussive charm on Elmira's back. Breathing deep and slow to calm her nerves, Glinda planted her right foot forward, her left foot behind her, toes pointed perpendicular to one another. Then she arched her spine and pointed the parasol with her right hand her left hand held skyward with a flourish, hoping she didn't stand out too brightly, hoping the simians didn't notice her. And at that exact moment, Mistress Everly's compass decided to activate. It didn't make noise, but the sharp flash of emerald light under the canopy of trees was enough to draw anyone's attention. Shadows fell in every direction, as though cast by a burst of lightning under a new moon instantly elmira and her goons spotted glinda in the brush holding a pose ready to attack oh bother glinda murmured elmira's face twisted with malice her cheeks pulled wide in a sharp wicked smile bearing crooked teeth under her long nose her eyes narrowing why it's that novice from columbia hello there my pretty glinda held her stance Seizing the moment, she found the proper positioning of her left hand, aimed the parasol at Elmira's face, and shouted, "'Thunder!' A deafening burst of power shot forth from the parasol. Elmira had recognized the gesture and ducked in time for the concussion to sail over her head through the empty arch, which was still gathering power. At the same time, Hester leapt out of her hiding place to the left, hurling a pair of throwing knives at Elmira's back." One of these missed and the other glanced off of the thick leather coat she wore. The attack was enough to draw the witch's attention to the assassin who whirled to face her only to be struck across the cheek by another item in Hester's left hand. Whatever it was, Glinda couldn't see but it caused Elmira to howl in excruciating pain. Glinda tried to line up for another concussion only to be hit by something huge sending her head over heels into the brush. Pain lit up her right side and she couldn't even think clearly enough to breathe. As the world spun in every direction around her, she thought she saw another sharp green flash from the compass, or perhaps it was just the strange conjurations of her mind as her head hit the muddy earth. Goons. Elmira had more goons in the woods, more of the winged man-things. Of course she would have more than two of them with her, especially if they were busy with her magical constructs. Why hadn't Glinda thought of that? These thoughts were bouncing around inside her head as she landed and tried to sit up. A powerful, lumbering, dark shape moved toward her through the trees. In the distance, she saw Hester still grappling with the wounded Elmira, and now the two simians on the archway were grunting and hooting at each other in their inhuman dialect, and this was it. Glinda was going to die. This monster was going to kill her. Elsewhere near Lake George... A small band of five men and two women quietly navigated the woods, their senses attuned to their surroundings. They were not separated from Glinda and Hester by so much space, but the years between them were great indeed. As Elmira's simeon loomed over Glinda, fate decided to shrink that distance, and now the woods came alive with a soft green light. The women of this company were half-sisters, both Scottish, Two of the men were English, two were Mohican, and one was a bit of both. They were all men of varying skills, useful depending on the situation, and in their current predicament the most valuable of them were those born on New World soil. The hybrid man, who went by many names and was called Hawkeye by his adoptive family, walked with a long rifle he had nicknamed Killdeer. He cradled Killdeer in his strong arms, eyes scanning the forest as his leather-wrapped feet moved stealthily over the earth. Behind him, his Mohican father, Chingachgook, stepped with equal silence, a long bow in his left hand and a knocked arrow in his right. After Chingachgook and the Hawk came the two sisters, Alice and Cora, followed by the Englishmen, Gamet and Hayward. Bringing up the rear was Chingachgook's own flesh, his son Uncas, who carried the same tools and weapons as his father. While neither of the Indian men were strangers to the black powder weapons used by the hawk, they preferred the arms of their ancestors, silent, faster to reload, and deadly accurate. Fort William Henry, their destination, was not far, and yet it would be a while before two of the band reached its walls. Hawkeye, leading the way, had paused briefly to look over his shoulder at his father, the man who had raised him from a very young age and taught him the way of the Mohican people. He had learned almost everything he knew from Chingachgook, and there were still gaps in his knowledge on certain things, like his feelings for the Englishwoman Cora, for example. He had a feeling he'd be asking his father for advice before long. The English officer, Hayward, was never far from Cora Monroe, speaking softly into her ear in a pleading demeanor. Cora's face remained outwardly calm, but Hawkeye was no stranger to reading those around him, seeing what others missed. She was distressed, polite to Hayward, but resistant. The man clearly desired her, and she clearly wished he would not. And now, with their survival in the balance, and Fort William Henry in the distance, and the threat of French and Huron warriors in all corners of these woods, the officer could only think of his personal passions, at the risk of giving away their location." Hawkeye opened his mouth to say something, and that was when the light came. Green light did not occur in these woods, not at this hue, not at this intensity. It flashed, first at the corners of his vision, then everywhere, enveloping him and his father like a tangible wind that hit from every direction, and before Hawkeye could get his bearings, the light receded, and he was still in the woods, the same place, but not the same woods." Some trees were thicker, others were gone. The canopy overhead didn't filter sunlight in the same way. It was as though a great deal of time had passed. Many seasons, with much growth, all in an instant, and nearby there were sounds of combat. Chingachgook oriented himself quickly to the sounds and dashed into the brush, uttering a few words of command to Hawkeye. They found the source, which belonged to two women in peril, but not the Monroe sisters. As much as that confused the Hawk, he was still sharp at assessing danger and reading enemies. The woman in the brightly colored dress, who scrambled backward on her rump as she tried to retreat from a tall and hideous man, was clearly in the most immediate peril. In one combined motion, Hawkeye raised Killdeer to his shoulder, leveled the sights on the monster, and breathed out while squeezing the trigger. A second crack ripped through the forest, sharper and not as deafening as the concussion she had just cast. The simian advancing on Glinda stopped, its head suddenly jerking backward as though struck by something, and a spray of bright red blood gushed out of the back of its skull. Through the fog in her head, Glinda thought it sounded like a gunshot, but neither she nor Hester carried guns, and Elmira had no use for them. Who was firing? The giant simian toppled backward, twitched once on the ground, then died. No! Elmira shrieked at the loss of her minion. Hester tried to move in for a killing blow. Yet another simian henchman moved in from the deep woods, coming to the rescue of his mistress, and he wrapped his powerful arms around the diminutive Puritan, lifting her off the ground. Elmira staggered back and tried to resume summoning the keystone ignoring the bright red welt on her face from Hester's mystery weapon. Fumbling for her parasol, Glinda rose to her feet, breathing heavily. Hester needed her help. Another gunshot. Two. Three. The new henchman bellowed in pain, collapsing to one knee. A bloody red gash tore open on the thick muscles of his upper arm. He dropped Hester hard on her stomach and clutched at his injury. Seconds later, another gunshot split his skull and he died on the spot. Frantically, Elmira pulled herself to her feet and tried to get into her conjuring pose yet again. The archway quivered as her last two simians wavered between fleeing for their lives and obeying their mistress's orders. Hold that damned thing steady or I will peel your flesh from your bones, Elmira snarled. The hole for the keystone stabilized, and the beams of magical starlight converged in the opening. Glinda did a quick count. Elmira was only missing one beam. Glinda rose up and grabbed her parasol. No time for a pose or a spell. She ran toward Elmira, with every intention of clubbing her over the head. Would another gunshot take the wicked witch down first? Were the unseen shootists in the woods on her side? Too many questions, not enough answers, and only one priority stopping Elmira. Hester beat her to it. The Puritan woman once again brandished the unknown weapon in her left hand, a sopping wet rag, probably dropped in a nearby puddle. Teeth gnashed. Hester swung the rag overhead like a sling as she charged Elmira, the latter noticing her just as the rag slapped wetly against her face again. Elmira grabbed her cheek and howled, Smoke jetted between her fingers, then gave way to actual flames, as though an oil lamp had been lit. Hester sidestepped a half-hearted kick from Elmira and moved in close for a killing blow, raising the rag high overhead as if it were an executioner's axe. "'Whoever you are,' Elmira snarled, spittle flying from her lips, "'you will know an eternity of pain you cannot fathom!' "'I made my peace with eternal torment long ago,' Hester seethed. "'We shall see!' Using Hester's diversion, Glinda planted her feet and summoned another concussive spell, this time pointing it at the incomplete arch, shattering the frame for the stellar keystone just as two more gunshots ripped through the woods, dropping the simians who held up the arch.' The silver shoes sparked and crackled, struggling at first, then lit up as bright as the emerald compass. In a flash, Elmira disappeared, and a sudden, thorough silence settled on the woods. Glinda sagged in relief as she hit the ground. They'd done it. The gateway was closed. Granted, they'd done it with some help. Unless you're smuggling firelocks under your blouse, I dare say we're not alone out here, Hester began. Nodding, Glinda turned around. Hello? Who's out there? It took a moment, but she heard footsteps in the underbrush. Stealthily, a pair of men pushed their way through the trees, nearly equal in height, with long, dark hair and rugged clothing made of rough cloth and animal furs. Though they dressed the same, they were of two races, with one man being white and the other an Indian. The latter had multiple tomahawks and sheathed knives about his person, while the former carried a large equipment bag, the strap slung across his upper body, and Glinda saw a trice of rifle butts sticking out of the open top. The two men looked just as surprised to see Glinda and Hester. The Indian said something in his own language to the white man, who replied in the same tongue. Then they switched to English. I am Nathaniel. This is my father, Chingachgook. We'd... We're not sure how we came to be here. There was a green light, and... The compass, Glinda realized. She ran over to her traveling bag and dug the small device out of an inner pocket, checking the illuminated needles inside the glass. They both pointed directly at Nathaniel and Chingachgook, no matter where she moved it. Compass? Chingachgook asked. What about it? Hester snapped her fingers. Question for you, sirs. What year do you think it to be? The man called Nathaniel frowned, puzzled by the unexpected nature of the question. His father answered, By the white man's calendar, it's the year 1757. Isn't this known? Glinda almost laughed at the absurdity of it all. The crystal globe, it seemed, was not done pulling people across time and space to help her on her journey. My dear gentlemen, if you'll indulge me for a few moments, I think I can explain the situation to you. Come, let us find a place to sit. Using her magic, and without the added difficulty of combat to distract her, Glinda vanished the bodies of the simian monsters, as well as the incomplete gateway arch. The eldritch glyphs on the stones had faded after Elmira jumped away, leaving four people with some not-unpleasant fires to keep them warm. Glinda conjured up a quartet of comfortable wooden chairs for them to sit on. If Nathaniel and Chingachgook were alarmed by her supernatural talents, they didn't make a fuss over it. Rather, they took it in stride. Nathaniel removed his rifles from his bag and went about reloading them with powder and ball, while Chingachgook stuffed his pipe and began puffing on it while Glinda spoke. She showed them the compass, explained about the crystal globe, and how a fallen member of her sisterhood was meddling with powers beyond the mortal realm. In response, Nathaniel and Chingachgook recounted their experience hurtling through time, yet strangely enough, not through space, as Hester had. "'Do you mean to say these woods are your home?' Glinda asked. Chingachgook shook his head. "'We make our home in many places, move with the seasons. But we came across two young women, daughters of a man called Monroe, who needed an escort to their father's fortress. We were with them when the green light brought us here.' Nathaniel's eyes went distant for a moment. Glinda recognized a sort of longing there, and chose not to inquire openly about it, as the man had a sudden flush of romantic energy coursing through his aura. He was smitten with one of the women in his care. "'And now you are in this forest in a different time, escorting a brace of different damsels,' Hester said. "'Seems you are well suited to this work.' "'So it would seem. I don't understand, though.' nathaniel trailed off we're a 140 years ahead of where we were we haven't aged what's become of everyone we know is is fort henry still standing i'm afraid you're asking about a region of the country that i don't know all that well mr Uh, i'm sorry what was your surname nathaniel poe but you may call me natty and what country do you mean the state of new york "'I myself am from South Carolina, one of the other United States.' Natty and Chingachgook again exchanged a silent look. "'There are no United States, "'just different countries run by different white men. "'French, English, some Dutch.' "'She started to reply, thought better of it, "'and pressed a hand to her mouth as she contemplated something. "'What is it?' asked Hester. "'Glinda chose her words carefully.' We have been selected by a higher power to work together, to stop a wicked woman from doing a wicked thing. Twice now we have foiled her, and twice she has escaped, and this leads me to think that she has only fled to another site, where she will attempt her mission yet again. Implicit in this journey is the notion that we will succeed, and that when we are done, we will be returned to where and whence we came, she explained. We'll go back to our time? Chingachgook asked. Rummaging through her bag again, Glinda pulled out the emerald compass and consulted its arcane markings. "'I don't have a great deal of experience with instruments of this caliber, but I believe that to be the case. And if it is so, then I should think it unwise to arm you with too great a knowledge of what will become of your own future. It may change things that you have, uh, historically already done.' "'What in the unspoken name of the devil are you even talking about?' Hester asked, rubbing her brow in confusion. Temporal contemplation, said Glinda with a dismissive wave. It's one of the disciplines we learn in my coven. There are some spells and mechanisms that can manipulate time and send people across history the way that they would traverse geography, only with dire consequences if anything is altered. Don't worry yourselves needlessly on this point. Just understand that you will have a lot of questions about your future, and I won't answer them. It will make it safer for you to return to your own times when this is all over. Natty perked up at that. Good, then it's settled. Where do we find this Elmira? Chingachgook reached into his tunic and pulled out a folded piece of paper. Your wicked witch dropped this in our fight with her monsters. I picked it up when you weren't looking. What? Why? The Indian man shrugged, waiting to see if you were looking for it, to see if we could trust you. You haven't mentioned it, though, so here... "'He held it out for her to take. "'You strike me as a clever man, Mr. Chingachgook.' "'My father is very wise and a good man,' Natty agreed. "'Glinda unfolded the paper. "'It was large, measuring almost 12 inches by 20, "'and on the inside was printed a map of the entire world, "'spread flat, with cartographer's marks and divisions "'that split the earth into four quadrants, "'east, west, north, and south. "'All of the text was uniform,' what labeled the continents and nations and so forth, but there was a single handwritten word over the western quadrant, scribbled in green ink. Elmira. Why is her name there? Natty asked. He had gotten up and silently walked around Glinda to look over her shoulder. I don't know, but that's a great deal of land to be under a single name. His face implacable, Chingachgook rose to his feet and held out a hand to Hester, helping her up as well. Then let's thwart her before she can put it there for good. And thus concludes chapter two of the Guild of Eldritch Adventurers. I apologize for the poor audio quality in the first half of this. It appears that the plug-in microphone that I've been using has died, and my Bluetooth headphones have a better microphone for recording, so I'll be doing that going forward. I've had the same issue with my podcast recordings over the last couple of weeks, and so uh, I'll just be switching to these ones full-time. But enough with the technical jargon. We have now added two more members to our guild. And fret you not, the roster will keep growing. Tune in next week for Chapter 3. Until then, drive safe. See you out there.